If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on our show each week, send us an email over at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Behold, the genius Lanny Pop, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video school. You're listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host JP Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Genius Cast. I am your host, Lanny Poffo, and here is... JP Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com, and how have you been since our Andre episode? Wow, I'm getting a lot of feedback on Andre. I had no idea that it would cause so much clamor. We got a lot of praise on it. It's got a lot of listens so far. In fact, it's our number one listen to episode. Thank you for sharing it out. Thank you for listening. Continue to do so. And if you haven't listened already, go back and check it. You're going to hear a lot of stories that weren't included on HBO's documentary. And also, we've got an article on ProWrestlingStories.com, which is all about Andre. It just came out yesterday, and already, today... Now, I'm excited like a schoolgirl here, right? Now, I post on Reddit every now and again. I'll post the articles up on Squared Circle, which is the wrestling, the pro wrestling forum where you can go to talk wrestling. Well, I posted the Audrey the Giant article up in the movies subreddit, and it got to number one in under an hour. In fact, it got upvoted so much, it's the number one trending article under our all. That's amazing. So I'm... I. You know, I was when I saw that, I was excited. So a lot of people are reading about this. A lot of people are finding out about our show. Really good times. And check it out. Let us know what you think about that article, as well as what you thought about that show last week. Congratulations on your article. And um, I'm not against anything that's going to get over. And evidently, people are still fascinated with Andre. That's right. And a big thank you to Braden Farrell. He's out of Adelaide, Australia. He's the writer for that piece. He's, he's done amazing work on ProWrestlingStories.com. Check out his other pieces. You'll enjoy them, too. You know the Pro Wrestling Tees, the brother from another mother? Yeah, the shirt we've been plugging on our show. It's the same one that you were wearing at All In. It got over so well that I got a call from Ryan at Pro Wrestling Tees, and they had an idea for me, and I just went with it because I can laugh at myself. Did you ever see the movie Coming to America? Fantastic movie. His his family was his family was rich because they invented Soul Glow, which is this stuff you put in your afro. Yes. Okay. Right. But as you probably remember, I used to have a perm and a porno star mustache. So <laughs> so they're having a t-shirt called Genius Glow. It's got all the sparkles and it's a takeoff on Soul Glow. They just put it out, and I'd like, to, I'd like to read the names of the people who, without advertising, have already bought it. That would be Adam Yastro, Lee Gann, Ashley Samuels, John Crowther, Michael Moskowitz, Natalie Powers, 
And that's just the beginning. Not only buying this shirt do you get to sport a hilarious new look, but you get to go around and show what Lanny looks like with this Jerry curl and genius glow. I like that. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. It was showing up on social media, and I had a laugh. It's good to know the story behind it. You had a little fun at my expense, huh? That's right. Ooh, yeah. Definitely check it out, ProWrestlingTees.com. Now, we're getting a lot of questions about you hiding the blade in your mouth. This is when you were in the Battle Royal when, apparently, Andre the Giant cut you open the hard way by delivering a headbutt. Now, we covered this story in full on last week's episode, but people are asking, why did you firstly put the blade in your mouth? Wasn't that dangerous? And also, they were asking about why you had four blades exposed. Okay, that's my fault because I was just talking off the cuff and I wasn't clear, okay? I know what I wanted to say, but I didn't evidently, because I'm getting so much feedback about it, that it's my fault. Okay, when I say put it in my mouth, it wasn't on the tip of my tongue where I could swallow it, okay? I put it between my cheek and gum on the right side of my face, on the outside of my teeth. Uh, That makes a little pocket of, uh, it's where, if you did... If you did that smokeless tobacco, that's where you would put the tobacco. And the, you know, so that's like, uh, there is no way you're going to swallow it and there's no way you're going to cut yourself unless you actually press and dig. Because this is the side edge of the blade, not the uh, pointy end, okay? Right. And even if it cut a little, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be anything. It didn't, but it was fine. It's In other words, it's a place you can put it where you know where it's going to be. And I took the whole blade because it's larger and easier to handle. And the reason I exposed four corners of it is because that way I don't have to look at it. Whatever, Whenever I grab the blade, it's got a pierre on the edge. You see what I mean? Right. In other words, I don't have to look at the blade. I know it's going to cut me. Well, thank you for pulling back the curtain on that one a bit. I know I've heard wrestlers, they hide it in their wrist tape, they'll hide it in their fingers or on tape or in their mouth, but any time I've ever heard about wrestlers hiding an open blade in their mouth, they kind of cringe, but it's good to know it's not too dangerous. And when they tape it to their fingers, sometimes they cut their opponent or themselves because, you know, it's like exposed and they have to wrestle with their finger up. Yeah. Okay, so that's like a nightmare. And then if you keep it in your in your trunks, well, that's no good because you can lose it. I've actually heard stories of wrestlers keeping a sharp object in their trunks or in their, in their, in their pants, their tights, and they ended up cutting themselves in the leg. So you see them fighting with a bit of blood stain on their leg and you have no clue how it got there until later on you find out that's where they were hiding the blade. Well, what is Murphy's law? Anything bad that could happen would happen. Listen, not that I'm a great blade man. I'm not. It's just that the one blade job I did was uh, was on NBC and it was like very famous. Now, this is before they attributed HIV AIDS to blood. Okay. And um, it was, if you have sexual intercourse with an HIV person, your chances are one in three of getting HIV. But if you share blood or a needle with an HIV person, you're 100% sure to get HIV. This is what I was told. That's what I'm going with. But I assure you, there was no HIV rumor on blood when I cut. 
And this is what you said was one of the things that you regret most in life. You've never defaced your body. You have no tattoos. So cutting yourself open, you've only done it 30 times in your career. And as they say, don't try this at home. No, it's a horrible thing to do. It's just that if you're going to be a prostitute, be an expensive one. And I started to say the greatest prostitute I ever knew about was um, well, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis because after she married the handsomest man in the world, uh, she married this ugly guy from, uh, from Greece. So, you know, he was the fifth richest guy in the world and he wanted a trophy wife. And, you know, that's what I call it. <laughs> do, you think, do you think Aristotle Onassis was a handsome man? I'll have to hit Google to find out. Okay, well, what did he have going for him that Jackie wanted to marry him? I think it was, he was the fifth richest man in the world. That's just my theory. There you go. Something for us to look into after the show. It, 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 it beats going up and down the stairs for $5 a hit. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. better. If you want, that way, you just do one trick, and after you get married, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do any more tricks. No, no more. We're going to keep this intro short this week so that we can go right into your interview with Fred Ottman, better known as Typhoon, Tugboat, and the Shockmaster in WWF and WCW. Sadly, I wasn't able to take part in this conversation, but hearing you two talk about your time in the business and share your stories was a real treat. I know our listeners are going to feel the same way. I want to preface this by apologizing to the listeners in advance because the sound quality on Fred's end of the conversation, it was a bit bad. He had himself on speakerphone throughout the interview, which we didn't realize until later, but I've done my best to clean up the audio for you all. It's a learning curve over here, and we're doing our best. So with that said, and without further ado, we bring to you Fred Ottman. I have a very, very special genius cast guest, one of my favorite people, Fred Ottman. Oh, Tugboat, Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man, coming at you live and in color, big man. Man, you had a lot of gimmicks. I had a lot more than that. I am a gimmick. I am the living, breathing gimmick. I'll tell you what, um, before we get any further... I remember yes. you at the funeral of Boris Maximilianovich Malenko. Ah, that's my coach. My coach, he's my father. He's my second dad. That's the way I think of Malenko. Tell all the fans how much he meant to you. I mean, he was an incredible man. He wasn't just a trainer. He wasn't just a mentor. He uh, gave, he was that second dad to me, gave great life advice. He trained us old school with respect and uh, for the business and respect for one another and how we treated one another inside the ring and outside the ring. He was an incredible human being and, and proud to say part of my life. You know, when people talk about really tough guys, um, you know, they always mention Haku and, you know, that's true and everything. But um yeah. When I was in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1976 through 77, Professor Boris Maximilianovich Malenko told me his son was coming in and asked me if I had wrestled amateur. And I said, sure. And I weighed about 230. And Jody must have weighed um, about, I don't know, 175 if he was lucky. So we went yeah. to the Charlotte Park Center and I wrestled him. And uh, it was like trying to wrestle a razor blade. 
Okay, <laughs> he beat me every which way but loose. And uh, I believe that when people ask me who's the toughest wrestler I ever met, it would be Jody Simon. <laughs> okay. Oh, there, there's no doubt. You know, matter. You know, I, you know, uh, Joe and Dean both. You know, uh, the man of a thousand holes. You know, Dean Malenko. They both helped in training me back in the day when I was training, and. Uh, even Malenko himself said, you know, the only difference between Dean and Joe, okay, Jody has that mean streak in him. In other words, you know what I'm saying? He's the kind of guy that can, without taking a breath and without uh, being winded, could just move by move, hold by hold, stretch you like a piece of bubble gum. Well, the, the only thing I can say, too, is that, um, you know, when I tap out, um, yep. he let me go. Okay, in other words, uh, if he hadn't, I wouldn't like him, even to this day. But I guess his dad was watching too, and he wouldn't have permitted any foolishness, right? So, anyway, uh, so we both have a, a lot of respect for the Malenko family, the, you know, Larry Simon. And I can't believe he was 61 years old when he passed, and here I am going to be 64. It's hard to believe I'm older than Larry Simon Malenko. Well. You're you're in good company because I I'm the same way I am older than when he passed. It was truly you know that that old saying the good die young it is is definitely apropos there as far as he was a great man with a wonderful heart and a vast amount of knowledge and just was a tremendous human being. I'll tell you what, what a guy. Tell us about, you know, your career, how it started, and some of your highlights, because the fans are interested. They want to know. <laughs> I can tell you, uh, I started training back at the beginning of the 80s, and I was born and raised down in uh, Miami, Florida, and I had played football, and did, I wrestled a little bit amateur and, and the whole nine yards. And uh, I started training initially down there with Malenko. I met uh, the Kangaroos when they were wrestling, these several of the different guys used to come to the gym I trained at down there at Coral Gables, Florida, when they were in town. They either wrestled at Denner Key Auditorium or in Mighty Beach Convention Center where they used to film the Jackie Blues stuff. They got me hooked. I went up. But I, I, they told me that Malenko had a school up in Fort Lauderdale on the weekends. I would start up there, went out, up and uh, checked out what was going on. And uh, I loved the guys that were involved with it. Uh, you know, they were trained there. The, the uh, guys that were active trained, Malenko, his son, they're all a part of that guy named Dr. Red Roberts from South Florida, who was a uh, psychiatrist, psychologist. <laughs> you know, it was a pretty weird bunch of, of guys, but really, really great guys. Then I, I, eventually I moved up here to uh, Tampa Bay because he uh, had a school here in a mattress factory and by the Tampa Bay Stadium, the old sombrero with the uh, Von Stroheim, Carl Von Stroheim was his partner up there. I moved here so I could train five, six days a week, plus uh, get, uh, working and everything else, get better and get into the business. And then my first initial deal when he sent me out to, somebody wanted to look at me, was to uh, the old TV studio up in Atlanta, you know, that uh, before there was PBS, you know, they had the local station up there where they did the studio type show, and he sent me up there in a car with two seasoned veterans in the back seat with me, and we're in the back of a Cadillac, the original Batman Marino, 
and uh, Cyclone Negro on each side of me, and we weren't out of town two, three, four, or five miles, and they were both asleep snoring on my shoulders, and the guy that was driving is a ex-martial uh, arts guy, and he, he was a pro wrestler. He's driving the Cadillac, and he goes, well, kid, uh, that's how you can tell a real veteran they can sleep anywhere, you know? And that was like my opening and uh, going to my first tryout in Atlanta. I mean, you know, breaking into the business was crazy. You were talking about um, the kangaroos. Did you mean Al Costello? Because there's been several versions of the kangaroos. Yeah. Al Costello, and I forgot his partner's name back then. Was it Don Kent? I, I can't remember. You know, too many, bu- too many bumps and too many chairs to the head. You know, my memory's very bad. <laughs> you took a few bumps to the head, and um, but I didn't <laughs> notice your name on the um, class action lawsuit. I not my deal, you know. Uh, the uh, class action lawsuit targets one one company, and I w- I've been in the business many many years. I was actually blessed, like you, to have uh, been able to wrestle in territory back in the day, you know. And uh, so, how can you point your finger at one person? I mean, I I have nothing against those guys that are doing that. I mean, that's their business. But I feel I feel blessed to have been able to wrestle. You know, and be a part of a great business. You know, and uh, I've had so many concussions through the years. It's a scary thing. You know, part of the business. It was not the best part of the business, but I mean, you know, I played football. I did all. You know, I did all the fun kid sports. I've been hitting the head with a baseball when I played little league. <laughs> oh, you know, what could it be? Mm. <laughs> Who do you point your finger at? Right, and I always thought that uh, Vince McMahon had the best rings anyway. Oh, yeah. They were awesome, man. They were huge, but they were awesome. Yeah. My father always told me, after you've had the soup, and it's a community bowl, don't yes. piss in it on the way out. You know, you know what I mean? So nobody I, else can have any. I, I agree with you there. You know what I'm saying? Don't cry. You know what I'm saying? You, you chose... You know, nobody told me, hey, I put a gun to my head and said, hey, you got to get in the ring. You got to, you know, and do this and do that and do this and do that. You know what I'm saying? You made that choice when you decided to do this as a business, you know, and just decided to make your living. I mean, our life on the road, Lanny, I'll have to tell you, even in the, the small territories, we were wrestling six, seven days a week, and we were, you know, doing double shots, sometimes twice on the weekends and stuff. I mean, you know, for, you know, 25, 30 years, easy, you know, that was our life. You know, for me, you know, that, that you, people think travel. Travel, you know, you get it, you know, you know the deal. I mean, you get up early in the morning, you go to the town, you, you do whatever you got to do to get there, especially in the territories. I mean, when my first major territory was I worked in San Antonio, the old uh, uh, Mr. Blanchard's old territory. They brought me out there, Malenko sent me out there, and that was my first territory. Back there, you split the split the cost of the car. You know, if you were renting a car, and then you split the cost of the gas. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's trying to take and save their money. You know, make a living. And uh, we were putting four or five thousand miles on that vehicle a week. We would swap a car every week. Texas was a big territory. Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. I mean, you know, you were crisscrossing all over the country. Look at the map. It's a very, very big state to cross. From San Antonio to uh, Midland, Odessa is about 350 miles, one way. That would be usually on a Monday or Tuesday morning. 
to start your week out. I'll tell you what, we've both been traveling a bit. And uh, yep. just amazing that we're still relatively healthy and whole, you know, after, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of car accidents and um, uh, I, I've never had a car accident. I caused them. You know, I don't. Yeah. yeah. When I came into that, into Texas, the first thing is don't tell them that you're a wrestler. Okay. Don't tell them you're a wrestler. You know, or they w w wouldn't rent you or whatever. You know what I'm saying? There was just that following, you know, from guys past, you know. Guys have been known to flip cars and, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, it, it was uh, a crazy time. Crazy time. Yeah, speaking of craziness, you know, um, toward the end of my WWE career, okay, I was the manager of the Beverly Brothers. And, you know, this podcast has really taken off. And one of the things that went viral is somebody asked me about the Beverly Brothers. And I said, well, it was easier to manage them than I'm glad I didn't have to wrestle them on television. And then I said, they never did the Shaker Heights spike to Fred Ottman or John Tenta or Haku or the Powers of Pain, the Legion of Doom, and, you know, any formidable opponents. They always saved that for the enhancement talent. And I thought that sucked. What do you think? Did you remember the Shaker Heights spike and would you take it? Uh, are you serious? That's like a suicide mission, man. I mean, you know, I, you know, yeah, here, let me take you up here and throw you straight down on the, the back of your neck. Uh, and we'll do odds or evens to see if your neck breaks or not. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's no way. There's no way. And there's no major talent that would take that. And the four guys that, were, that you know, are paying their dues, like we all have paid our dues in this business, will do a lot of, uh, allow a lot of things. But like I was saying before with Malenko, he always would say to take care of each other. If you can't work, you can't make money in this business. There's no workers' comp. There's no, uh, you know, if you get hurt, you know, all the, uh, there'll be a check coming to your door. No. If you don't work, you don't, you know, you. it's a very physical business, but that was insane. I mean, there's been a lot of insane finishes, and you know and I have, but that there. And both those guys, like you said, were great guys and nice guys, you know. But that finish, to have somebody jammed, one guy hoist you up and then drill, and the other guy drill you directly down onto your, onto the base of your spine. Oh my God. Forget about it. And, you know, I just went over the list of names on the class action lawsuit, which, by the way, just got dropped and uh, out of court. One of the Beverly brothers was one of the plaintiffs on that. The other one wasn't. I don't know. So 50% of the Beverly brothers were, um, upset about concussions and uh i'm yep. thinking how many did they cause well you see anybody's ever seen that picture and i and i did see that you had posted it you know the finishes in that and uh we were uh i remember seeing that and, and and like who would allow themselves when you look at the picture and look at how it you know how you your your place and how you land you know what i'm saying i mean it's oh my god you know, you need a crash helmet one, and you need a, a neck brace afterwards. If you break C one, you're Christopher Reeve. You know, and he sh he probably exactly. should have died immediately. Instead, you know, but I'm just I just hope there's a lot of help with uh, stem cell research and stuff because I've seen a lot of quadriplegics and things. You know, and it's a terrible thing. But um, I I believe that in the ring, some of it's self inflicted. 
You know, and if I say I'm sorry, Fred, uh, does that help you if you're a quadriplegic? No. The business takes a toll on your body as it is. You know what I'm saying? The slams, the bangs, the suplexes, you know what I'm saying? Uh, even nowadays, there's a lot of stuff that I see. You know, even the women are doing the stuff that the men are off the, off the top of the turnbuckle to the floor and flipping and, and you know, and it's really... Even if there's pads out there on the outside of the ring, I mean, at the speed and the force that your body is moving, you know what I'm saying? It, I think at, at one point, well, it only takes about 15 pounds of pressure to break a ball. I mean, I, I had an ex-partner that when I wrestled in Tennessee, a big guy from uh, Pittsburgh, Goliath. He was 6'10", about 400-plus pounds, and the nicest guy on the planet. And uh, I watched the a rate, just something as minor as the uh, mat not being pulled down tight enough, and there was loose in it. Uh, it was it was uh, loose, and he went after hitting the rope, turned, and his foot stayed, and his body turned, and it was a compound fracture where he collapsed, and the bone was sticking through his leg. You know what I'm saying? Sid Vicious when he took it uh, came get a move when he was in WWE. I think he jumped from the second or, or the top turnbuckle down. He, he, uh, when he landed, he snapped his leg. I mean, you can see the videos of it. I saw the video and it hurt my leg. Oh, yeah, it hurt, you know, it hurt me. And I, I always tell people, I says, yeah, that hurt me and I'm fearless, you know. <laughs> so tell me, you were tagged up with one of the most beloved figures in wrestling, John Tenta. Can you please tell the fans what a nice person he was, and uh... John. I always say John is my brother from another mother. You know, when people ask me about, him. I, I, I would, I would be blessed if he was, you know, my brother. He was loving. He was kind. He was a good father. He was uh, a, a good husband and tremendous human being. A very talented guy. You know, as big as he was, and just how humble and nice he wrestled uh, for the Canadian Olympic team. He, he was undefeated when he wrestled sumo in Japan. He, uh, you know, and, and people can watch many, many, many videos and YouTube stuff, you know, of, you know, anybody that hadn't seen him work in person, you know, what a tremendous pro wrestler he was, you know. And, uh, but he was just a, a, I got a picture somewhere, Lanny, of me, my family, and uh, his family at Disney World when we were wrestling, we were, tag champions, and uh, we're in the Dumbo ride with uh, Mickey Mouse here, on. okay? <laughs> Two 400-pound guys, you know, and J John, you know, was probably between 450, 460, you know, and uh, both of us, you know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, you know, and uh, oh my God, you know, the people were like, had the moon, the, their eyes looked like uh, big plates, you know, and we would laugh and cut up and I don't have to tell you on the road, you know, it's hard a lot, you know, being away from your family, you know, you're with the guys you wrestle more than you're at home with your family. You know, it's, it, it's that kind of business, you know, but, uh, he was just wonderful, man. I love him. Loved him to death. Matter of fact, uh, his son, Johnny, who lives in Houston, he, he got married last December. He sent me, uh, me and him have the only type of his in existence. He sent it. And I thought that was the most awesome and most wonderful thing. He, he's friends with my my older son, Berkeley, that works for WWE now. 
and uh, he's he, he good friends with him. When he comes to town, that they go out to eat, they go to uh, you know, uh, you know, brings them to the show. You know, I'm glad they have a good relationship. I remember John Tenta with his wife. Um, she must have been four foot nothing, um, and she was a <laughs> Filipino girl. Um, uh-huh. And uh, it seemed like she was in charge of John. It's it's that's what it seemed to me. Uh, she was like the ringmaster. Yeah, I could picture her in a leather outfit, smacking him with a whip. <laughs> Go mow the grass. Take out the garbage. You know. <laughs> when I see you with I see you with your wife Sheila, I feel like it's not as uh, one sided. I feel like it's a partnership. But in this, oh, yeah, here here's John Tenta, who's feared by everybody, but. He's in fear of his wife, who is about four foot nothing. And I'm thinking, wow. Uh, I came up to her and I said, Mabuhai, which is greetings in Filipino. And uh, yeah. she made the mistake of thinking I could speak the language. All I knew was oh. the one word, greetings, you know. <laughs> then she hit me with all that Filipino stuff. And I said, look, I'm a phony and I'm an imposter. Impostore, you know. <laughs> now, uh, JP Zarka is very busy. He's my partner. And uh, uh-huh. he, he's in England and he's, you know, he's a very busy man. He married with a daughter and, you know, the daughter's only a yep. uh, little over two years of age. And he uh. couldn't be here for this interview. And he asked me to ask you a few questions. Sure. Okay. And uh, please don't take it the wrong way. But he demanded that okay. um, it's about the Shockmaster. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, his question was, um, yes. what about Davy Boy Smith? He broke kayfabe during that. Um, so, tell about tell about the Shockmaster experience. And by the way, wrestling fans, Fred Outman has a is a good sport, and he even turned the whole thing into a positive by having he's he's able to laugh at himself. So, tell the whole oh. story and uh, don't leave anything out, please. Oh well. The whole thing is, I get there about a half. It was filmed at uh, Bash the Beach in uh, Daytona Beach, and I drove from uh, my house in, in uh, Tampa Bay over there and got there about a half hour, forty-five minutes before the uh, event was supposed to go. Before they were supposed to start, okay. And uh, Dusty, you know, Dusty's there, you know. Hey, baby, you know, that's my brother-in-law. He's like, hey, baby, we, hey, how you doing, baby? Hey, hey, hey. I'm gonna tell you, he's gonna, we got a thing set uh, that we're gonna do here, and it's uh, for the Shockmaster debut. And then he comes out, uh, he has this guy that's a prop guy come in, he says, You're gonna wear this, baby. You're gonna wear this. And so he comes out with the uh, Stormtrooper mask and uh, bedazzled with uh, glitter, you know, and uh, then. Uh, he says, you want to put this? And he tell me the whole deal. Uh, you're gonna, when you get the cue, there, there was no way to mic, mic this uh, mask. And I still own the original one, okay? That's how much I love him. He goes everywhere with me, okay? Shocky the baby, he goes everywhere. But anyway, <laughs> he comes in and uh, he goes, you're, we can't mic this. We're going to let someone else do the voiceover, okay, for this thing, for the gimmick. Mike Graham was there. Mike Graham was going to give me the cue. Now, they built this set for this uh, pay-per-view, all right? And it was a live event. It was not a taped event where you can do do-overs. It was a live event 
and the walls were built like walls in your house. Uh, two before is about every uh, 12, 14 inches, and then the wall was about 10 foot tall, and it was the set for the flare for the gold. He used to do that talk show, okay, with uh, Fifi, dressed in a little maid outfit. And anyway, uh, he goes, when, I, when my grand gets the cue, you're going to bust through the wall and go out there and pantomime while uh, all the dialogue is taking place, okay? And it was uh, Oldie Anderson was the guy that did the uh, voiceover for the whole skit. They had all the guys out there. I was going to be the mystery partner that Sting was bringing out for the next pay-per-view that was going to take place in New Orleans. And uh, it was a big cage match, double cage match deal, you know, and uh, Baby Boy and uh, Harlem Heat, Sting, uh, I think Vader. I forgot all the all the cast of characters that were involved. In, you know, like I said, too many chair shots. But the, uh, I said, oh, no problem. I, I can do that. But meanwhile, they drilled He had me try the thing on. They had drilled eye holes, right, in this mask for me to look look at him. And you could barely see anything out of it. And I put the mask on, and the glitter is coming through because they didn't seal the mask after they put the glitter, applied the glitter to it. So it was coming in my eyes. So it, he goes, uh, don't worry, baby. I got, I, I, I can take care of it. So Jeannie Ingalls was the secretary. So he had her peel off her pantyhose and uh, they cut patches out and glued them over the eye hole. Okay, so pretty basically now I am, a, I, I am totally blind. I could only barely see out of the eye hole, but I am totally blind. So I go around and... Uh, Time passes. We're getting ready to do the, this deal here, the whole skit. And so I go around to the staging area on the outside of the wall. And I'm, my Graham's talking. And I'm, he's like, Brett, they, they, they didn't gimmick the wall. It was just like a wall, like if I was going from your kitchen into your dining room and it was a separate room. I had to bust through the wall, okay? To, you're going to have to hit hard. You know, and I was mentioned around 600 pounds at that point. There, I was strong and everything. I'm like, don't worry, Mike. I can bust through this wall. It's not the first thing I've busted through in my life or broken. <laughs> so, like, he's laughing and everything like that. So I put this deal on. But like I said before, they had, you know, sheets of fly, uh, sheetrock coming four by eight sheets. This was uh, like 10 foot or, or taller. So they added... Uh, sheetrock at the bottom of the wall to raise the height of this thing. And uh, they put a, a board about just below my knee across the whole uh, wall there to support it, you know, and along with the, the vertical and horizontal wood that was used, you know, that they, uh, that way the wall was braced really good and everything because, you know, I, since I was busting through it, it would be a shame for the whole wall to come down, that would even be a better shock master moment, right? Time comes, he gives me the cue, I take a double axe handle, I raise my arms above my head, and blasted this wall, so I'm, I can't see nothing, I'm about five, six inches away from the wall, and I hit it as hard as I can hit it, okay? 
and I blew the wall out, but in the meantime, like I said, it was right below my knees, maybe an inch or two below my knees, and I became a human teeter-totter, and whoosh, onto the floor, the helmet pops off, it's live TV, all I can think is turning my head to the wall, reaching for the helmet, and pulling on my head, and pop up, and proceed to do the deal. Meanwhile, the rest is history. You know, as you see all the other people, what the F, and he fell on his baby boy, he fell on his arse, and, you know, and everything, you know, and uh, Flair, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> and the rest is a Shockmaster moment. How befitting that and called the Shockmaster, and I really, really did shock the world. <laughs> what impresses me is how you've embraced it and actually turned it into a positive. It's a wonderful thing. You know, everybody, as all the, the, the naysayers and the bat, everybody has had a Shockmaster moment at least once. I'm sure that there are many, 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 many more. I told you about the Shockmaster moment I had this week. <laughs> but anyway, you know, stuff happens. You know what I'm saying? And the best thing, and I tell everybody all the time, is you got to take whatever a negative may be, you have to take that and turn that into, make it into a positive. I mean, it's been very, very good to me. I mean, they came out with the action figure, at, and that premiered at the, the San Diego 2016 Comic-Con. The people there were buying them left and right. It was an exclusive for that Comic-Con, and, you know, and the people everywhere. I go out and do sign, signings, and I tell you that I bring this helmet with me, and I'll, they'll see it, and there's even people, like, at a Comic-Con that are, like, are non, you know, uh, wrestling fans that see this thing sitting on the table, glittering and sparkling, you know, and now it's over 22, 23 years old, you know, because that's how long ago it was. And, the, you know, it's been one of the most watched videos on YouTube and uh, the people come up. But people want to do the photo ops and I'll go like, they're just loving this thing here. And they want to hold that says, you want to wear it? Do you want to wear this? No. Really? And I'll <laughs> be like, you, I go, you know you want to put this on. You know you want to wear it. And uh, it's just crazy. As a matter of fact, I did uh, Horrorcon up in in uh, Ohio uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. And uh, they uh, the guy actually built a Shockmaster wall. We busted out a hole, and I was photobombing people wearing while they were wearing the helmet. And they were loving it. Their friends were laughing. And they were having such a wonderful time with it. You know, and that's what I said. You know, it, it's real, real bad. You got guys that are, you know, you got the, always got the armchair wrestling fans that, uh, it's the most horrible gimmick in history. And, uh, it's right up there. Yeah, buddy, with everything else that's ever been uh, put out there. The Mummy and uh, poor Bobby Duncan with that. And, you know, uh, some of the other guys with the gimmicks that they've had, you know, the, the powerful Oz. You remember that one from uh, WCW? Yes, the Red Rooster is a gimmick that, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember uh, the Lord Humongous in Memphis. I mean, just there was a, there's a laundry, you know, Mantar, and all of us have had our crosses to bear. It's what you do with the cross after, after you've been put to it, you know what I'm saying, what you do after that. Well, Fred, I don't want to embarrass you, but um, yes. I've, you know what I really admire about you? is what? the way you interact with the fans at these Comic-Cons and these uh, meet and greets. And that's the reason 
that I invited you to Massachusetts for at the home of Marty Urban so he so you could be, you know, involved. And I'll tell you what, they still talk about you and what a nice person you were. You made a good impression on everybody that you met. And, um, you know, they still ask for you. And we've got to go back. You know what I mean? Because, uh, yeah. you know, you've, you've been back twice, but uh, you need to go back again. The people that meet you fall in love with you. You know, I don't want to embarrass you, but um, that's the impression you make. Hey, what's not the love? <laughs> well, can you imagine as big as you are if you were some mean guy? You know what I mean? Nobody would want anything to do with you. Well, you know, I see that, you know, mean people suck, you know? And, you know, they're, 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 they're horrible. If I'm going to, you know, I could, you could die any day. You know, you can walk off a curb here in downtown St. Petersburg, get hit by a car, and you'd be gone. My last minute of the day is not going to be upset or mean or unhappy. You know what I'm saying? No matter how, you know, I've got two arms, two legs, I'm breathing, and I've been around many people, and if you're having, thinking that you're having a horrible life, maybe you should go to a burn unit, okay, in a hospital or to a kid's cancer unit, you know, and seeing these kids, you know what I'm saying, and what they've got to deal with in their life. People that have come back from being overseas in battle and are missing legs and arms and having different PSD, you know, kind of issues going on. Everybody has problems, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the most important thing is to cherish the people around you and the people you meet and, you know, I, I tell people, like, when you brought up that Shockmaster moment, I says, if you're, I, even little kids, I'm like, they, they have watched the video with their dad or something like that, and I'm like, you know what? If you're having a bad day, look at this video and have a better day at my expense, okay? You know, my mishap, my, you know, my bad day, you know? And uh, it, it's just life, and you got to be happy, and you got to, I mean, we all get, trials, tribulations, and different things, you know, but, and I love people. I love children. I think they're awesome. I have, I, I'm going to be, I still watch cartoons. I, I read comic books. Uh, the whole nine yards I play with, I have lots of toys and you know what? I'm going to be a kid to like, you know, and I'm, thank God I have an understanding, wonderful wife that, uh, relates to me and, and, uh, you know, and likes a lot of the stuff that I like and that makes me happy. And I like being around, you know, and if I can make somebody else happy or, or that, and I love talking to people like I talk to you, you know, Lenny, and I, and I love you to death. You're one of my favorite people, you know. But I'd rather be happy than miserable. <laughs> well, if you've got a choice, I'd pick happy. See, the thing is, um, it was always a goal of mine to bench press 400 pounds, and I never got there, okay? Uh, I yeah. got close. Um, but there's very few 400-pound bench pressers. There's also very few 500-pound bench pressers. You are a 600-pound bench presser plus. You're yeah. also a very well-coordinated individual. You've played many sports, and you are not uncoordinated. So if you were to get mad and hit a guy, he may not wake up. So I'm just glad that you're such a nice person that you would refrain from that kind of activity. I go to the gym because that's my, uh, I love going to the gym because that's my relief out. You know, that's where any uh, minor things that are going on in my mind that, you know, 
could put me in a bad mood, that's where I release and I get away with it. Everybody needs to have something that they can, you know. And I, I like to draw. I like to paint, you know. And I like you with your fabulous poetry. You know, if people only knew how learned you are and how articulate you are, it's obvious by the way you talk and, and, and present yourself. You know what I'm saying? These are, these are, these are gifts. You know, they're talents and they're gifts. And they, you shouldn't waste them. I, pr- I appreciate that. Now, Fred, um, can you, can you please explain about the, the bench press, the squat, and the deadlift, the powerlifting lifts, and what were your best lifts? Uh, I did a, I did a six, 50 bench uh, was the uh, cleanest night, cleanest bench that, that I've done. And, you know, that's with uh, a, a T-shirt on and, uh, you know, and the sweatshirt I used to wear all the time, going to the gym all raggedy shirts I used to wear. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that was the most awesome thing ever. Uh Matter of fact, I did some real heavy lifts. I was up in Portland, Oregon for about eight months, and I was with Crush, and we were we trained together back in the day. He was an awesome guy too, awesome, awesome guy. Um, deadlifts, because I was tall, were always uh, a hard lift for me. I liked them, but they were just a hard. It was a long way to pull, but I pulled a, a respectable. Uh, I pulled eight hundred in the gym respectfully and I, I thought that was good for me back in the day you know and I squatted a little over nine back in the day now my body now is uh telling me oh maybe you shouldn't have lifted so much heavy stuff for so many years but uh, you know I have a touch of arthritis here and there but you know I loved it I loved lifting heavy it was great I had a father who was little and he was a little little man if you would have seen him I, I've posted pictures from time to time but he was strong. He used to do the one arm. When I was a kid, it amazed me. He'd do one arm pull ups and, and uh, the, the clapping push ups and all that stuff. And I just thought he was the most amazing guy. What he lacked in stature and size, he made up for. He had big forms and those big, strong hands. And uh, it, it, it was a, a big motivation for me. I always wanted to be as strong as my dad, you know, appeared to be. He was a natural guy that was just big and strong. Uh, I'd go up in the summertime and work on the farm. My grandfather and his brother had farms up in Ohio, and I would go up there, toss hay bales and all that stuff. And uh, it was, you know, anything to do with lifting and pulling and that through shot foot distance in high school. Matter of fact, I trained with a guy named Ricky Bruce from Sweden, who was uh, a gold, a silver medalist at 72 with the discus and he was incredibly strong and he was just a crazy like a big giant crazy viking he was uh 320 and uh in the year remember when they used to have the superstars competition uh wide world sports they at the european superstars this guy was about six seven six eight okay lanny he ran a 10 100 at like 318 320 pounds is that 100 yards or 100 meters? Uh, 100 yards. 100 yards. But, you know, it's incredible. You know, incredible. I was like, wow. You know, for a man that big and to be that and agile and that, and it was very motivational. He taught me how to do 
different Olympic lifts. You know, he says, uh, for the speed and quickness and, and uh, to use. And I was young then. I was weighing only about 260, and I was, you know, uh, but uh, he, I, I learned a lot. I learned a whole lot about all the different lifts. It really helped. And I believe that it made, uh, when I turned pro, being strong uh, and training good uh, helped me protect my body more than anything, you know from the injuries on the road and everything. I wasn't a big uh, painkiller kind of guy if you got an injury. I, I'm an ibuprofen guy to guy. I don't want to plug any major things. I just say ibuprofen. Okay, that's uh, for aches and that, you know, arthritis and everything. Yeah. But uh, in the gym, keeping mo- moving and keeping motivated, you know, it helped me in the business and it helped me after this, you know. Well, I remember Vasily Alexiev was the first man to press 500 pounds. And the second man to oh. press 500 pounds was Ken Patera. Ken Patera, man. Unbelievable. And right now he looks like a Cadillac with 600,000 miles on it. <laughs> you know, he is, oh, he, is all, he is aches and pains. And he confided to me he wished he had never entered a weight room because he's in pain from all that. You know, that's like you're not, you're not an ant that can lift 100 times his own weight. You, you know what I mean? You're... Um, it is very brutal on the body to um, yes. to do heavy weights. Oh, I feel it too in that, you know, but it still would never keep people from trying and attempting things like that, you know what I'm saying? It's that motivation, your heart and your brain doesn't think about the uh, down the road deal, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Now tell me, um, do you ever watch the wrestling product today? If so, who do you like and what what is your comments on that? Uh, you know, I, I I watch the product today, and you got certain fans that like old school, and you got certain fans that like new stuff. I don't feel I feel that there's a lot missing from wrestling today. Although I do like a lot of different guys. I tell you what, I I I, I it may sound funny. I like the the big guy Von Strowman that's with uh, WWE. I, I'm a, an admirer, uh, one of the first big men that can talk. You know, I mean. For being a big guy, a lot of big guys aren't noted for, you know, stellar interviews. And, and you know, he seems very bright. And tells how I've heard many people that he's a very nice guy. And, uh, you know, and I'm very uh, proud of watching him. You know, I like watching him work and everything and how they use him. But uh, I feel that the stories are missing from wrestling now. Okay. I, I feel that, uh, you know, wrestling matches is, tell a story, you know, and I feel that's missing. I feel that it's, they do stuff in the ring, boom, 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 and these high-risk maneuvers and stuff like that, and things are, go so fast that I think the fans aren't able to grasp what, I don't know, it's hard for me to explain. I, see, I believe in the um, variety Okay, I yeah. think you need some of this and some of that and some of this. And, you know, just like when you go to the circus or when we used to, it's no longer around. But you want to see the daring young man in the flying trapeze. You also want to see the three-headed geek. You know, it's it, well, and it, all love, makes, yeah. it all makes for a better day at the circus, the more variety you can have. Yeah, it's become cookie cutter. Is that means anything there cookie cutter what i know what you mean by that like it's a factory 
And it's just yeah. everybody's the same, the same, the same. You know, I, I've talked to young guys and stuff like that, and I'm like, you know, when you train, you learn a hundred thousand moves, okay? This, that, for every move, there's a counter, and blah, 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 blah you know, down the line. But I says, you know, I watch guys' matches, and I see them doing the same things over and over. I don't see them working a hold, you know, like, you know, back in the day, you know, and feels heels back in the day, you know, they would come in and, and uh, the heat they would get, heels don't sell. Heels, you know, uh, in a lot of aspects, they, you know, they don't get heat or if they have any heat at all, it's like kind of a cheap heat. It's not, you know, I, I don't remember wrestling in territories where guys were so hated, okay, that they, they would go out there and, uh, to leave the building and have four flat fires waiting for them or a busted out window or something if they knew what you drove up in. I mean, they were hated legitimately. Me, back in the day, I've had cups of dip thrown on me in Texas. I've had, when I was a heel, I had, uh, I've been hit with the umbrella, like the old jokes with the old ladies, you know, hitting the eyes and stuff. They had legitimate heat and they were vicious and they they weren't afraid. They weren't uh, w- uh, wanting to sign autographs. They were wanting people to hate them. They were wanting them to be, you know, to go into that mood. You know what I'm saying? You have to, and you know, they used to teach me back in the day, you have to live your gimmick. If you're a badass son of a gun, you know, that's what you are. And you, then people will hate you. Make them hate you. You know, I... <laughs> I don't want to do an expose, but I mean, you know, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, and I'm a person too. I like variety. Like you say, I like watching Lucha Libre, which is a completely, you know, different aspect of wrestling. And, uh, I love watching Lucha Underground. I like that production type, uh, show there. Uh, I watched, uh, some Japanese wrestling from New Japan that's from overseas and they're getting, they're coming in here pretty strong. And, you know, the thing is, there's a lot of young, good talent that's coming up. You know, as far as naming names and that, there's a lot of great, great talent out there, you know, that's wrestling. But then there's a lot of guys that are teaching talent, okay, teaching guys that aren't teaching them, you know, I don't know, not really doing their job in a lot of aspects, you know. I'll tell you, Fred, that's a great explanation. I really appreciate your answer there. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of seminars at wrestling schools. And, you know, you get these really eager people that are just listening to every word you say. And I ask him this question. If you were a fan, would you pay to see yourself? If the answer is yes, why? If the answer is no, why not? And I want you to ask yourself this question every single day and try to make it a yes. I would pay to see myself because, and I'll tell you what, it's Terry Funk told me, it doesn't matter how good you are, it matters if you're peculiar or unique. Yeah. You know, something yeah. different about you, something something that if you buy a ticket to see Fred Ottman, you're not gonna get it anywhere else. This is special, this is something. And that's the people that do the best in this business. You know, when I'm, uh, Terry Funk, I think he knew a lot. And uh, so anyway, 
I'm going to ask you a question. Now, we've been talking quite a while, and I know you're very, very busy, and I appreciate this interview. No, I got, I got lots of time for you. Don't worry about that. I know that. that, but I don't want to abuse it, okay? <laughs> I know that you're going, you have a home in Panama City, uh, and you're going to go paint it, right? And you're going to put it on the market, yeah. and you're going yeah. to, uh, you and Sheila are going to go to um, near, near Nashville to retire. I'm not going to tell them where, but... Uh, yeah. But you've got a lot of plans, and um, if you could leave the fans with one essence, one thought from you know all your years of experience, what would it be? What advice do you have for the children? What would you like to tell the people? Oh, well, if you're uh, uh, somebody that wants to break into professional wrestling, like like you were saying before. You know, there's a lot of copycats that are coming in the independence and stuff and everything. I, I feel the independence now are the, the territory of today, okay, for one. That's where all of our talent is coming from, whether it be in this country, whether it be in the U.K., whether it be in Europe, where Japan, whatever. The independent are the territories, And the people, I think, are seeing that and they're coming out and they're being supportive of that. But if there was a young woman or a young man breaking into this business, I would be in the gym. I would want to be uh, as physically fit and physically healthy as possible. I would find, don't just go to any local yokel to take and be trained. Go to somebody that knows with a reputation. It means you moving to a different city or a different state to find the best trainer that you could be a possibly be under the tutelage of do it you know any knowledge watch as much programming old programming okay old youtube shows pick out guys that you relate to that or you feel that you relate to as far as or admire for their work and that and study it and you know uh if i were a person here i would train in as many aspects of, of wrestling as possible. I would find somebody that would allow me to train maybe uh, amateur wrestling. That way you have a strong amateur, you know, and learn stuff, you know, escapes, reversals, all that amateur stuff. Not re fully wrestle that way, but if you have somebody that does lucha, because lucha wrestles from the ultimate side, it's the American wrestle from the, you know, an English wrestle, okay? Learn some submission. Learn all the things that you can, because the more knowledge that you have, the better performer you have, you know? And fans, the same way. Be open-minded and enjoy and embrace what you have. Instead of complaining constantly, you know, look and follow and see what talent is out there. If, if you're in a, in a place where you have the ability to go to an independent show, you're going to see crappy people, you're going to see okay people, and you're going to see great talent. It's not always guaranteed. Because in life, like Lanny's brother once told me, the only guarantee is there's no guarantees, especially in the professional wrestling business. And things happen. Mistakes happen. And, uh, you know, I... Other than that, I, I don't know. I can go on for hours and hours and hours, you know. But as a fan, love what you see. Don't be so judgmental, you know, because wrestling 
you never get it, learn it all. And sometimes you don't learn it all until the day you stop lacing your boots up and retire. Wow, that was fantastic. And I want to just say one more thing. I never ribbed anybody, and I don't remember you ever ribbing anybody. Did you rib anybody? I've, ne I've never, I, I don't like them. And I realized when you got that much testosterone on the road, okay, and you're never home, people do stuff to entertain themselves. But some are more vicious than others, as you can attest to, because we've seen, okay? There's one thing, a rib is maybe a ha-ha, and even the most innocent of people, uh, Nikolai Volkov, he's been known to, you know, do little tricks and, and this and that and everything. But there's people that have been on the road that I will not mention any names that were very vicious as far as their ribs go. Okay? But that's between them and the man upstairs, you know what I'm saying? Because there's stuff done at the expense of others that wasn't nice. And I, you know, and I stay out of that name or for this guy. It's like, they go, oh, Fred, you should write a book. You should write a book. You should write a book. And I said, you know what? It would be called Behind the Curtain and Under the Mat. Because the stuff that people want to hear about and listen about is the uh, horrible things and rude things and disrespectful things that have happened to people. And I believe that their families, no matter what, or no matter who the person was, their families are sacred. And they deserve respect along with the, you know, no matter what you think about the guy that's either been a part of it or been the result of it, you know, so. You know how I feel about you. I, uh, you're yeah. one of the, you're a, you're a prince of a fellow. Um, if everybody <laughs> in the business was like you, we'd have gotten along much better. And um, I just want to say thank you on behalf of all the fans of the Genius Cast, on behalf of J.P. Zarka. I want to say thank you for such a great interview. It was insightful. It was humorous. And I believe it had the makings of a fun time for the fans. And uh, whenever I think about you, it's, oh, great. We're going to be with Fred. He's only interested in laughing and smiling and having fun. And yeah. I'll tell you something. You're a very kind person. You're not mean. You're very kind, and you're always looking to help others. And that's the thing I I um, remember about you. Uh, we used to travel quite a bit together, and you were only interested in helping people, not putting them down. You know, well, I feel blessed like from people like you and, and other people. A lot of other people I met in this business and out of this business that have been kind and have helped me and and taking the time, you know, I when I first started wrestling, there were guys that wrestled in territories that didn't have to talk with me or help me or, you know, give you insight, you know, and even outside the business, same way. And I feel blessed, and I feel that uh, people were good to me. There was people who were not good to, you, to me, but there was a lot of people that were good to me, took the time and were kind and educated me. I always was uh, surround. Always liked talking to older people. My mom and my dad told me when I was very, very young. First of all, people that uh, don't like animals, old people, and children—they're not usually a very nice, <laughs> you know. But uh, they always told me, you know, talk to older people, and because they are a fountain of knowledge. 
And when they're gone, that knowledge is gone with them. You know, their life experience. And that really helped me a lot in life, and it gave me a, a lot of outlook on how I treat people and how I how I kind of embrace life. You know, and I and I feel really blessed, and you know, I've had that. Well, do me a favor, say hello to Sheila for me. And um, you've got a lot of traveling to do today. And uh, I want to thank you on behalf of the Genius Cast. Thanks for such a great interview. And uh, drive, wow. drive defensively. Thank you very much, Lane. I love you, buddy. And uh, thanks for having me on. And, and thank all the fans, you know. Without them, we would be nothing. We would be N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nothing. That's it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have a good one. God bless. All right, God bless. Bye-bye. What a fantastic interview you had with Fred Ottman. You know, my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was how nice of a guy he really is. He is the best guy. He's a consummate gentleman. And isn't it great, as big and strong as he is, that he's not mean? Absolutely. I mean, a guy his size can do huge damage. So lucky for everyone he worked with. He's such a huge teddy bear. Um, But I do want to apologize again about the quality of that call. We didn't realize until afterwards that Fred was on speakerphone the whole time, which is a bit of a no-no when recording interviews. But, you know, between the two of us, Lanny and I, we're new to this. So rather than call him up and do the whole thing over again and have it feel a bit unnatural, we kept it as it was because the conversation was great and I really had a good time listening to it. And I hope that you guys will too as listeners. Before we get to the fan questions of the week, a clip just came out this week with Bill Dundee talking negatively about your brother Randy. Now, he said in this interview that your brother had a few screws loose. He talks about the time when Bill bumped into Randy in a parking lot outside of a gym. This was around the time you all were wrestling for your father Angelo's ICW territory. Dundee called out to Randy, Hey Randy, how you doing? To which Randy responded, You don't really give a fuck where Dundee recalls responding, Well, seeing as though you put it that way, you're absolutely right, I don't. Well, Dundee ended up getting into his car and driving off. Now, the following day, the way that Dundee explained it, he was talking to a few guys in the parking lot when Randy sucker punched him above the eye, which started a scuffle between the two. Dundee ended up pulling out a gun on Randy and even threatened your dad that he would shoot unless Randy backed down. This went to court, but the case was eventually thrown out. Seeing as though Bill Dundee talked openly about this in a recent interview, even putting down your brother, I want to give you a chance to respond. Well, I'd like to take the opportunity to not respond. I'll tell you why. I was in the World Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee on the day it happened. And I really hate stories like this, but it never ceases to amaze me how people that were afraid of my brother don't mind talking about him after he's dead. Well, I got bad news for you. I'm still here. Okay, and here's a little, here's a little something I would like to say. I'm glad, Bill, that your son is doing so well. Jamie, you should have jacked off the day you made him. Going into the fan questions of the week. On Instagram, Flashback Wrestling, a great account to follow, by the way, He wanted to know about the time Mr. Perfect destroyed the WWF Championship on television. 
It's brought up from time to time, and when he was a young lad, he thought that belt was turned into the WWF hardcore title. Everybody says they did something with it. I don't remember. All I remember of that night was it was right after I wrestled Hulk Hogan on NBC. So we all go to the locker room, and Mr. Perfect gives an interview, and he's pounding on the belt. And then I give my interview, and we did it in one take. But... I could barely hear myself talk because Mr. Perfect was hitting that belt so hard. Bam, bam. You know how it is. It's a little distracting. But I managed to get my interview out. And uh, Gene Oakland was there and he's totally professional. But one of the shards from the belt uh, flew up and hit Mr. Perfect. And he was bleeding from the, from the arm or hand or I don't know. But there was a lot of blood. And it was from hitting the belt and the metal flying up. I have no idea how it happened. Were the reasons behind Perfect destroying that belt on television? Like, was a new belt about to be unleashed? I was there... Where's the old saying, uh, mine is not to reason why, mine is but to do or die? Um, all I did was do what I was told. Do an interview, this and that. Do a match, doom, boom, boom. You know, and I was so thrilled. Can you imagine... Um, after having sucked hind tit on the south for since 1985, now it's 1989, and I'm wrestling Hulk Hogan, and I'm getting my hand raised. I couldn't believe it. I was like, a, you know, and I was not about, what do you plan to do with the belt after the, no, I don't ask questions like that. Um, you know, I'm not, as Vince McMahon Sr. used to say, just ride on the bus. Don't drive it. You don't have a license to drive. We're going to go to Alejandro Bravo from Venezuela. He wrote an email saying, I remember seeing the genius while I was a little kid, but never knew that you'd be so funny and charming. How many copies of Randy's rap album do you own? He downloaded it and he enjoyed a couple of tracks, but he thinks that a bit of your poetry touched by the genius would have added to it. I wrote one song on the album and that was A Perfect Friend. He asked me to do it for... Mr. Perfect, and I did it. Hey Kurt, we miss you, but we know you're in a better place. It's kind of hard as time goes on and I don't see your face. So I'm clinching and I'm holding on to memories. Remember the times rolling strong, just you and me. It's real hard sometimes to keep it going day to day. But I know you wouldn't want it any other way. So I keep it moving, doing what I gotta do. And as a tribute, I'm dedicating a song to you. I don't have a CD player. I have Alexa. That's good enough. The Amazon Alexa. And um, I'm happy with just that. I'm a minimalist. Well, there you go. Perfect Friend. A really good track off of that album for you guys to listen to on Spotify or via your Alexa. Ricardo Matos on Twitter asks, Given your past and recent comments about Pat Patterson, I was wondering if you think he was responsible for Randy being put on commentary in the WWE instead of wrestling. You know, I wasn't working for the company then. I was given my uh, good luck on your future endeavors. Uh, when they're done with you, they're done with you. This is why we save our money so we don't have to go on GoFundMe, okay? And, you know, the steps of saving your money, I'm not here to give a big lecture, but 
please go on YouTube and get The Richest Man in Babylon. It's free, and you get several choices of actors that'll read it to you. You know, all I can do is lead a horse to water. I can't make him drink it. It's ironic you mentioned The Richest Man in Babylon, because Brady on Twitter asks, what other book do you always recommend reading? Ogmandino books, The Greatest Success in the World. It's the story of Zacchaeus that climbed the sycamore tree, and at the end it's got 10 rules of success, rules to live by. Also, I am crazy about the late Dr. Wayne Dyer. So Ogmandino was passed, and so was Classen that wrote Babylon, and um, Wayne Dyer passed away a few years ago, and Ogmandino about 15 years ago. Andy Toth wrote, were you disappointed about not being able to wrestle or even appear on television after you were signed to WCW? I bleached my hair blonde. I waited by the phone. That's all I can tell you. And uh, of course I was disappointed. I wasn't raised to go on welfare, but welfare is where I was. Reps to Death on Reddit asks, what was your workout plan back then and what's it like now? It was the same when I was wrestling, except more intense. And now um, I'm keeping in mind that I'm going to be 64 years of age. And um, it's train, don't strain. Okay. Uh, before I was, um, I was go, go, go. And now I'm just trying to keep from falling apart. And I don't want to be found dead face down in the gym. Absolutely not. We're going to go to our last question. This comes in from a guy who goes by Jeggins on Reddit. What are some of your favorite moves in wrestling? There was a wrestler named Dory Funk Jr., Pat O'Connor, Buddy Rogers, Argentina Rocca back in the 50s and 60s. And you can still see them on YouTube. They used to get a side headlock, stick their butt out, and whip the guy really high over their And I, I used to call it the high headlock. I tried, I tried, I tried, and I never could do it. I can take you over in a headlock, but I take you over, you know, low. And I never could do the high headlock. And it bothered me. So I tried and tried and tried, and I still can't do it. And But I think I'm a better wrestler for having tried. Because that work ethic caused me to learn other moves. And uh, maybe I'm just not built for that move or whatever. So... That's a move I always wanted to do and never could. Um, of course, people give me credit for being the guy that invented the moonsault. And I always correct them. And I said, yes, I invented it right after I saw Tiger Mask do it against Dynamite Kid in Madison Square Garden. And then I said, hey, I can do that. And then everybody copied everybody. Next thing you know, you've got, they raised the bar as far as the degree of difficulty. I just think that... I've seen uh, Okada versus Kenny Omega. Um, you know, there's there's moves I don't even know the name of. Of course, when I did the uh, moonsault, I called it the honor roll as the genius, the honor roll or the roll of honor, whatever. And um, like there's the Mexicans, the luchadors, they have moves that I've never seen. Um, the Japanese wrestlers, the... Um, you know, the people that have been influenced by all types of wrestling. Um, and they're always coming up with bigger and better moves. But none more deadly than the Shaker Heights Spike. The Beverly Brothers. 
Undertaker was recently in an interview just a few days ago that went online, and he was talking about how wrestlers nowadays are all trying to outdo each other by doing these really flashing moves. And in the process, they're kind of pushing themselves up against the wall because it's hard to top that. How tall is The Undertaker? Oh, he's at 6'10 at least. Okay. How tall is Rey Mysterio? 5'7 at, at most. I'm just guessing. Where would Rey Mysterio be without those moves? Nowhere, mon frere. Not everybody's 6'10". I believe in variety. So let Undertaker go out there with his giant appearance and his fantastic gimmick, and he does all these great moves. But in order for a small man to compete in a big man's business, he's got to go to extremes. And Rey Mysterio has gone to extremes. Do you think the audience, though, is getting a bit immune to these high spots nowadays? You know, whereas in the 90s, when a moonsault would occur in the 80s, that was like, wow, that stood out to you. But nowadays, seeing things like that, it doesn't phase you. So wrestlers got to go above and beyond. Do you think we're kind of setting ourselves up for, in the future, not being too impressed by these highly dangerous moves? Well, it's like your second day at a nudist colony. Everybody looks at each other in the eye. Okay, in in the world of pornography, after full frontal nudity and everything you can do, what do you do after that? And yet there's still a market for it. Um, what a wrestler has to do is overcome the fact that the fans have seen it all and they're jaded and chagrined and have done it all, seen it all. That's about it. Um, but the thing is, that's the that's the real world. And how to take a jaded fan's eyes and make them dilate and give them something they've never seen before. So there's merit in what The Undertaker said. There's also a lot of merit in what I'm saying. Um, I don't knock success, and I could say that Undertaker and Rey Mysterio are both successful, so to each his own, and let the fans enjoy what they want to enjoy. I have some bad news uh, a very dear friend of mine, Jeff Summers, um, also in the graduating class of 1973 from Downers Grove North, died of cancer a few days ago. And I wanted to tell the people that this was an excellent person. We were friends from baseball, Little League, and then he played football and was good enough to get a scholarship with the University of New Mexico. I am sorry to say that I have not kept up with him since 1973. We talked briefly on the phone once. And uh, I've just, you know how it is, life goes on. This is a poem called Around the Corner by Charles Hanson Towney. Around the corner I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet days go by and weeks rush on and before I know it, a year is gone. And I never see my old friend's face for life is a swift and a terrible race. He knows that I like him just as well as in the days when I rang his bell and he rang mine. We were younger then, and now we are busy, tired men, tired with playing a foolish game, tired with trying to make a name. Tomorrow, I say, I will call on Jim, just to show that I'm thinking of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes, and the distance between us grows and grows around the corner yet miles away. Here's a telegram, sir. Jim died today. And that's what we get and deserve in the end. Around the corner, a vanished friend. That was beautiful. 
in honor of your friend Jeff Summers. May his family find peace during this difficult time, and our thoughts are with him. And with that, this week's Genius Cast comes to an end. Adios muchachos y compañeros de mi viva. I just want to say not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this Genius Cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys, and thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where you can get both of Lanny's shirts for sale. You've got the Black Machismo Jay Lethal on one side and you've got Lanny on the other. And also don't forget the new Genius Glow shirt for sale. You look great in front of your friends and you'll get a shout out on our show. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. We had a lot of fun this week and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z like zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. Listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at JP Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time. <laughs>